0: on this week's bet the process podcast we talk a lot of golf with the founder of data golf which is doing cutting edge work in the world of analytics and golf and we have the preeminent golf better in the world my partner rufus peabody on actually giving negative ev picks as always so with that let's start the process
1: Bet the process. Bet, bet. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place, find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings, crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is
0: pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the process podcast where Rufus and I. Try not to be too terrible, and try not to get too shitty reviews on on uh, iTunes. But this yeah, we've gotten dark. What's that? You've gotten dark, Jeff. I've, I am. I'm in a I'm in a tough place. Um, someone rear-ended my car when it was parked on the street over the weekend. Um, literally just a hit and run, and my car's totaled. So in front of your so, house? In front of my house. Yeah. Yeah. They can't be going that fast on that street. That's that's what I'm saying. I mean, clearly a drunken person, probably. I mean, I guess I shouldn't make assumptions. Um, anyways, we're lucky enough to be joined by Matthew Corchain, uh, founder of Data Golf. Um, and we're going to talk a little golf in, in uh, advance of the Players' Championship. And hopefully you guys are listening to this before the Players' Championship, because Russo is going to give out, I'm sure, a lot of negative EV. Uh, picks picks that he maybe placed and then move the market and then it's sort of useless so i don't know why we end up doing that but matthew welcome in and uh would love to hear a little bit about data golf and sort of um what data golf is i guess to, to start with
1: yeah sure well thanks for having me on guys um yeah so data golf started out just i guess summer 2016 uh, my background so it's myself and my younger brother will And I was doing a PhD in economics at the time. Will was working in the private sector. He also had an economics background. And yeah, we started out just a a blog trying to break into the golf analytics space, which is a, well, it was a small space and it still is a small space. Um, And yeah, like a year after we started, I mean, the initial intention of the site had nothing to do with betting. Um, It was mostly just writing blogs. And at some point we started doing predictive stuff uh, and then we got into sort of live modeling and then it was sort of a steady progression on the modeling side and the development side. And then maybe like 2019, Will and I started doing it full time and uh, now we have a subscription product on the site and we are mostly geared towards betting and prediction. And, um, but we, we do still try and offer a lot of stuff that's just useful for golf analytics analytics. And so, but to answer the original question, it's just the high level goal of the site is just, we're trying to create the best possible, possible website at the intersection of, data, golf, and uh, betting,
0: yeah. So do you guys have, I, I often talk about this concept of, um, you know, like this pyramid of uh, analytics, which starts at the bottom with data, the second level is analytics and the third level is implementation. On the bottom level of data, I mean, your name is uh, data golf, or uh, what? what is Great the name? <laughs> yeah, how long did it take you to come up with that one? But um, what, is, what is, do you guys have proprietary data?
1: Uh, no. So we, well, it's a developing situation. So right now we, uh, everything on the site right now is based off just round level data, which is just so round scores and then round level strokes gained. So the PJ tour publicly reports total strokes gained, like off the tee approach around the green putting. Can we, can we uh, take a step
0: back, sorry, and, and talk about sure. the concept of strokes gained Because I think that's a relatively new stat and I, I don't actually fully understand how it's calculated. So it would be great to to sort of talk about that first.
1: Yeah, sure. So so Strokes Gained was created by Mark Brody in like 2007 or something. And it's based off, so the PGA Tour does have at most of their events, shot link data, which is this system that gives detailed information on every shot hit, including the GPS coordinates. And so what Strokes Gained is, is basically you can think Brody just developed uh, or estimated a function that says The average average PGA Tour player should be expected to take this many strokes from this location, and location is defined just by distance from the pin and the lie, so fairly rough and, like, native area or something. Um, And strokes gain is just on a shot. Don't forget Bush.
2: Bush is the location, too. I saw that last week.
1: It's just – strokes gain is just the difference between your expected strokes to hole out at the start of the shot and at the end of the shot. So the easiest case is a putt where, let's say you're putting from 10 feet the average pro takes 1.5 putts to get down from there. So if you make the putt, then obviously your expected stroke to hold out is zero. So you went from a spot where it was 1.5 to zero and you only took one shot. So your strokes gain there is is 0.5. And then you can apply that to any location. It's a beautiful and simple method, which is the best kind. Um, and yeah, that's, so does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So
0: um, why, why do we believe, I guess, that that's, when, when I think about these types of stats or these, these, like, why, why is it an improvement over just looking at, because you put yourself into the situation, right? Like ultimately, you know you what I mean? Like, like at, at the yeah, start of yeah. every hole, everyone's, everyone's expectation is the same, right? Yeah. Like so you're like,
1: saying that there's some guys who are going to hit it in certain spots because they're bad golfers, like bad golfers hit it. Like, are you saying that there's selection on who hits shots from which,
0: yeah, I mean like where where does the where does the stat actually create value? I guess is my question.
1: Well, I mean, if you compare it, well, you can go, you can you were gonna say something there, Rufus. I don't
2: know. I mean, I, I was gonna say it's an explanatory stat. I think it, it explains like where someone was good. Or, or so at least I, that's guess what the, I guess it's intended to do. Like Would you agree with that, Matt? That it's intended to say, okay, this the value of this approach this guy hit was X. Not yeah, like this sure. means it could be lucky, you know, there's balls that bounce off of the flag and go off the green and it looks like it was a really bad shot. And then there's like Jordan Spieth holding out all the time, um, which looks like
0: he's yeah. a great well, so, player. So I guess, I guess the question is, are certain types of strokes gained um, more predictive than others? I guess that's that's the key to this, right?
1: Yeah, well, to Rufus's point, predict, like the predictive, the predictive value of the stat is a is a separate question. Like it is just descriptive, and like the easiest, yeah, example is like hitting a shot to eight feet versus four feet is a big di- an approach shot is a big difference in strokes game, but it's it's mostly luck, realistically. Um, but yeah, there are. I mean, off the tee stuff is more predictive than approach around the green. I mean, to your original point, why is it better than old stats? I mean, part of the reason the Part of the reason Strokes Gain is good is simply because it's relative to the field average. If you took some of the old stats, like greens and regulation, putts for green, and you just normalize them to be relative to the field on a given day, then they would be a lot better, and you could do that. But Strokes Gain is still adding – like, it has flaws for sure, but it's adding a lot of value on the older stats, I think.
2: I want to ask you a question, Matt. If you had to choose between either getting the old stats, which are driving distance, driving accuracy, greens and regulation – scrambling putts per round putts per green regulation let's say just those and sand stays if you want um or just getting the new stats stroke and off the tee approach around the green stroke gained putting which would you what which one do you think would add the most value to you
1: i mean right now we don't even use we only use driving distance and driving accuracy of the, the old stats you were talking about so we don't even use and that's mostly out of like negligence not really it's not an act of choice we made i mean i don't know i i think the stroke team stuff it's probably more useful i mean i think the older stuff could be useful for course fit um i mean one thing is that in golf it's honestly incredibly difficult to even improve upon a model that just uses it may not incredibly difficult but it's hard to improve upon a model just using scores when you're trying to incorporate the strokes gain data because it's only at a subset of PJ tour events it makes it tricky and um yeah, I don't know. I uh, the G-I-R, GIR and stuff like that. I don't really know what you use that for. If you have, I don't know. It provides different information than the strokes gain stuff. But
2: so so I like in in general the like what we try to do is try to find areas where a golfer has you know underperformed their true ability or overperformed their true ability. So the question I guess is like you say it's really difficult to to beat um, a model with just based on score that there's I mean relatively speaking obviously we can do better than that but but it gets you like almost all the way there and so how much I guess like over the course of a season how much are players benefiting or um or being hurt by by luck which is like would you say
1: yeah I don't know I mean this is something I'm just sort of actively looking into like I mean I guess to Jeff's earlier question about the data we are just now getting access to shot level data, like officially from the PGA tour. Um, so we're sort of trying to start using that. It's a, I mean, it's a long process just for whatever reason, but um, I don't know, honestly, cause that's the thing. Like if you, sure, there's, there's a lot of stuff in golf that's not predictive, but if we know that we have to use a, a big sample of data to predict golfer performance, then all this luck should in theory roughly cancel out. I mean, that's not exactly true. And maybe, I mean, I've been starting to think lately that, yeah, we don't, our model is not short term enough, and so if we could get rid of some of this lock, then you can you can wait recent rounds more heavily when you get rid of the lock because there's more there's more signal there. So that could be part of it too.
2: Is a good example of that sort of maybe Jordan Spieth the last few rounds where I mean I, I was watching a little bit on like Saturday was it Saturday where he went really low and and it's you know he hold he had a hole in one um then he holed out from a bunker then he like had like a 35 foot putt it was just like those types of things where you know obviously like where those things are hard to repeat although jordan Speeth has made a career of doing those things it seems like but um are those the kind of things you're talking about where like maybe his round you know, if you look at just his score it looks like he played great but overall he got really and he did play well but he got really fortunate in some areas
1: yeah, like I think hole outs are the easiest example to look at, where it's clearly if Spieth hits his tee shot to an inch versus in the hole, that's a difference of a full shot. His strokes gain is a shot higher because of that, and we can agree it's completely luck, um, at least on an approach shot. I do think with Spieth, the one thing is it's luck when a shot goes in from 30 yards, but if you if you like if you're good around the green, you scare the hole a bit more often, and there's more chances for you to get lucky, but. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good, we've actually started doing that where we subtract off a stroke for every hole out that a player made. So speeth, we just had a minute, mini players blog this week where we, we, we looked at like the biggest adjustment we're making to, to a player's skill level because of the hole outs that they've had recently is speeth. It's still only like 0.08 strokes to his baseline skill, but, uh, yeah, it's driven by, he holed out twice at last week and a couple times at Pebble.
2: Does that include like bunker shots or like, so where, where's the the spot where you're doing that? Because I mean, you have plenty of times where you have a shot that's yeah, from yeah, the please. fairway, right. It's defined as the fairway, but it's essentially a a, a putt or something a guy's trying to hold out. Um, and, this, and, and out of the bunker, I mean, a guy like Patrick Reed seems like, you know, every bunker shot is scaring the hole and versus like a Corey Connors where you're like, please just put it somewhere close to the hole and don't hit it in the water.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think for Reed, he probably will going forward hole out more than Connors because he hits, well, he will, because he hits more good shots. But yeah, no, we, like we basically right now it's just arbitrary. We just say any shot over like 80 feet, we're going to just penalize the guy's stroke for making that, which actually could be a bit harsh. Maybe we should only be penalizing like 0.9 strokes or something. Cause like you said, it's not completely luck, but I think it's close to one stroke should be the penalty.
2: And technically then you should be giving, well, it gets complicated. And right. When you think about how, do you give credit for like a potential hole out for guys that hit it to two feet? You know, cause there is a possible world where
1: that could have pulled out. Right. Yeah. Well, we probably don't want to get into this too much, but <laughs> I think, I think, I think the key to predictiveness in, in golf using the shot level data lies around the fact that things get super non-linear when you get near the hole, like once you hit it, if you hit it to 10 feet versus eight feet, That's a big difference in stroke scene. If you hit it to 30 feet versus 32 feet, it's kind of, it's irrelevant, not irrelevant, but it's, you get these huge, these small differences in skill start mattering, uh, or not sorry, not differences in skill, small differences in where the shot ends up matter a lot when you're near the hole and they don't matter a lot when you're away from the hole. And I think there's something to be had there in terms of predictiveness.
2: So what do you think then about the statistic, the proximity statistic, you know, when you see that like average proximity to the hole? Do you think that's because that, that basically says how, you know, how far are you away from the pin on each approach shot? Um, it's not something I use personally, but, but if, if we sort of assume that the difference between being, you know, zero feet from the hole and 10, well, essentially misses are linear rather than nonlinear, then wouldn't someone with a better proximity be a better player on approach?
1: Um, yeah. I think so. I mean, I don't know much about, like, other than the fact that proximity is flawed for, like, weird reasons, like, some of the shots that count for it don't make sense, but, and it doesn't take into account distance, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what you mean, like,
2: I, I think you, I think you're right about that, and not taking into account distance and stuff, and, like, like, a par five, someone's going at a par five and two, you know, and they put it in the, maybe intentionally put it like the front green side bunker or something like that well maybe that gets a bad proximity number but if he'd laid up to 100 yards and then put it to 10 feet that gets you know a better number
1: yeah and actually someone emailed me uh just a writer a writer who was looking into this emailed me asking why cantley patrick Cantley, is so he has such good approach strokes game numbers but his proximity numbers are crap and he was thinking, he had two hypo like, his first hypothesis was just, okay, maybe Cantley goes for the greens more, and so he's hitting shots in further distances, but that wasn't, that's not what was going on. All it was was just courses differ, like, massively in proximity. Like, there's some courses where it's, everybody's hitting it, hitting it to 20 feet, and then others where it's 50, so, like, to the point earlier, if you just normalize proximity by tournament round, like, it'll be a lot better, and that actually got all the way there for Cantley. Like, he is good relative to the field, just not he plays high-proximity courses, so that's why he seems bad in the ranking. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's let's kind of go back to this, because I, I think you guys were getting on to something, and then it sounded like you guys were, like, not wanting to talk about your secret proprietary approach to things. Um, what which, which parts of the game tend to be more predictive, I guess, is the question, because ultimately – when you're creating a model or you're using data, you're trying to find inefficiencies in the market, i.e. things that your model can, you know, ways that your model can predict things that the the average eye wouldn't. So if, if we talk about the most basic thing that everyone has, it's what it's their score, right? Like how has a player been doing on, based on their score and, you know, obviously the strokes gained piece it, 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 at the end of the day, the, the score is the score, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's the strokes gain doesn't. So you, you have to actually like partition off pieces of strokes gained for it to be a useful stat, right? Like you guys talked about strokes gained putting or strokes gained driving or whatnot. So which pieces of it are more predictive and how do you guys incorporate, like, which pieces of that do you actually incorporate into your model building? that you think gives you an advantage.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of an advantage it's giving us, but like, we're trying to incorporate the fact that uh, off the tee. So like distance in its intuitive. So distance is something that's more predictable. like off the tee stroke scan is mostly driven by how far you're hitting it. That was one of Brody's big insights when he came out with the stroke scan stuff is distance is being closer to the hole is ultimately what matters most in golf, not necessarily whether you're in the fairway or rough, and so off the tee is really is predictive for short a short periods of time which makes sense because you don't just lose or gain distance overnight um whereas a pro, like putting performance is really and again people anybody who plays golf would agree with this like it's it's really high variance varies a lot day to day so we like we try and court, we try and leverage the fact that you need a small sample of data to estimate off the tee skill and you need a big sample to estimate putting and around the green, around the green skill so if we see a player who recently is putting poorly but on the long term he's been an average putter. We're not going to his recent scores have been driven by bad putting and we're not going to weight that as much as if we were just looking at scores and we didn't know the the cause of his recent bad play. And we're going to that's how we're going to adjust. We're going to give him a positive bump essentially. But I mean, it's not like the thing with golf is like you spend a month like I spend a month working on this and incorporating it and it's quite nice and and it barely helps so it's it's uh it go i don't know i mean it's that's what i said earlier like it's hard to incorporate strokes gain stuff in a way that's i don't know that's super helpful i've honestly in all my these few years now working on this i've never had a moment where it's this massive boost in predictive power and it's like oh wow like i guess this is what i was missing it's always okay i think this third decimal place in the in the air Uh is smaller (laughs) So it's, I mean, it's frustrating in that respect, but that's the intuition there I think makes sense. It's just not as great as I would have hoped, but yeah, that's one way you can use strokes gain categories to help.
2: Yeah. So then, what, and so then
0: what's the, go ahead Rufus.
1: I was going
2: to echo, I, I think one, the another reason that strokes gain off the tee is going to be more predictive, I think, um, is is essentially there's going to be, well, everybody's starting from the same place. They're starting from the tee box. Um, and so it might essentially just be a measurement thing too. Like if everybody was starting from the same place on an approach or, you know, and we were able to know their lie, like with certainty to lie, or whether there was, you know, a tree, right. You know, two guys are in the rough. One guy has a tree in front of him and has to punch out. And the other guy doesn't like strokes gain. Doesn't know that it, they just know in the rough 160 yards out. So basically I think like measurement error, well, not measurement error, but essentially the deficiencies of, of, of. Sp- what is incorporated in the strokes gained um, is going to make sort of the approach statistic a little bit less predictive going forward, whereas uh, relative to off the tee.
0: So, so what is then the holy grail for you guys? If you had access to all, you know, like if, if you had charters following every golfer with GPS, and they do, blah, blah, blah. they do, they do have that. You don't you don't have access to that, do you? you? You're not telling those charters what you what you want them to actually record, right? Oh like you're not, not recording, you, like, hey, there's a tree here. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, what are you laughing about, Rufus? This is like I'm saying, like, the way to improve statistics, right, or in, in data is to actually have someone go and qualitatively. This is like what our friend Ted does, right, at Stats Bomb, is to qualitatively look at things, situations that you know can't be measured by sort of a very strict rubric right like you're like if, if you actually like grade the quality of the lie or you you know like the, like what would you guys want in your in your ideal world if you were having like literally people follow the golfers and chart what you want them to chart do you think there would be a way to get an advantage there or is it you know like I mean, like Matthew, you you sort of seem like a little bit resigned to the fact that like golf is really hard, which is interesting because you have a data golf company. So it's like, what is, what is your aspiration in terms of how to improve things?
1: Yeah. I mean, to the point about what I would want, I mean, I think there's things, there's certainly more information I'd want to know what a shot. The question is, like I said earlier, we need a decent chunk of data to say anything. We need to see a golfer hit you know, hundreds of shots to really assess his skill at some uh, category of shot in golf. So if, I don't know, if all these things were, we're recording, like let's say on putts, you're getting them to record, whether it was downhill or uphill or whether it was a, I mean, you can actually figure that out already in the data, shot level data. But the thing is if these things all cancel out, like roughly speaking, when you, when you look at a, a big sample of data, which is what you need to estimate golfer skill, then it doesn't really matter for like predictive power. I mean, Obviously, there's always going to be an edge in knowing this information because we know in golf we you need to weight recent data better. So, or sorry, more. So the the higher quality is the data, the more accurate are your assessments of their recent performance, and that does matter. Um, and I mean, yeah, the fact that I'm I sound resigned about predicting golf. I mean, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out exactly. It does seem to me that the the, the boost and predictive power that we get are are very small but I don't from adding some new component but I also don't have I currently don't have a great system for evaluating I make some change and then back test on let's say ultimately we care about betting results I don't have a great way of like making a change and then simulating five years of matchup bets and seeing how much better that model does because that's ultimately the outcome that I care about let's say I don't really do that right now for several reasons it just would take a long time being the main one so It's not that I'm resigned. I still, I'm actually very motivated to make the model better. And I think we can make it better. It's just, it's not like, I don't know what it's like in other sports, but I I haven't really had these Eureka moments where there's a huge boost in predictive power. And I honestly, I don't think there would be in other sports either, but. It's like the 80-20 rule, right? I mean,
2: at this point, you're like 96% of the way there and trying to find the other four, you know, trying to find those last 4% really it's really tough and that's kind of how i think it, it's that way in uh, in every in every sport or or in a lot of things outside of sports as well one thing i think would be interesting is is um you know the track man data though so basically like the pga releases some of that stuff um and i think maybe now with the partnership with aws and i don't know i'm, I'm hoping at some point maybe that that'll be more available like at a shot level but um without errors because when I've, I've looked into that so for example you can see a guy's like spin rate or you know average ball speed or you know um apex height for t shots uh, you know on the pga tour you can only see like a summary of that though not on, on individual shot and you know when it when i when i see like a guy's t shot in the range of his launch angle and it's negative 40 degrees to positive 20 degrees i'm like there's definitely some measurement error in there so but i do think that the I mean if you think about what a player can control like I mean there's a lot you can't control you 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 can you don't know what you know, I mean the winds can affect this ball a certain way you know the humidity um how it lands on the green bounces and all that stuff but but you can control like your swing speed like the I don't know I mean I'm not a physicist but I mean I, I would think that that's kind of the the most granular thing right like like what is the curve you're putting on the ball? Like what is the launch angle of it, et cetera, and how consistent you are with that kind of thing, and and sort of looking and seeing almost like for baseball, when when a pitcher is, when pitcher's velocity is dropped in recent starts, it's an indication generally that um, maybe he's battling an injury or something, but he's probably likely to underperform. And similarly, if you see some guy, you know, a golfer isn't hitting the ball as, as hard, or his spin rates less or something, if, if you sort of, sort of see changes, maybe they could be the precursor of bad performance rather than um, like
0: reacting to the bad performance. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I kind of go back to this and, 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 and it's interesting, like, you, again, like, if everyone has the same data, right, like, it's not like and everyone has like similar skill sets and similar approaches, right? Like you have an econ degree, Rufus has an econ degree, whatever, right? Like, um, what, what I guess, like, what I guess, like I wonder and I think about, right, ultimately I want to go back to the same idea and the same concept. And I think Rufus, you were getting at something interesting, which is, you know, the track man data, which is, you know, spin rate, launch angle, all that kind of stuff that may be like more predictive, um, and, but ultimately what you're trying to do is find like where your scores, where your actual score is lying, right? Like where it's where it's not telling the whole story. So like what are some, some things that you guys have seen? Like you've talked about one thing is, as putting or holding out, like somewhat being random, right? Like that, so that's an area where a score may, you know, may be lying or maybe not telling the whole story. What are some other areas that you guys have found that the score would, isn't telling me the whole story. Like, you know, like, I mean, quote unquote, like there's just concepts of getting lucky, right? Um, You know, probably like a drive being inches away from going into the, you know, trap or going into something but ending up, like what what are some of those situations that you guys have seen systematically that um, create inefficiencies?
2: I don't know if they create inefficiencies, but I mean, think about Kevin, Na. um, Kevin Nas, what, what did he have a 21 or 19 or whatever it was on. Um, it was in at the Houston open back in 2010 or 2011. I mean, I basically sort out. of, I, I, I think sort of those extreme scores can bias things. And, and like Justin Rose with the nine on, um, on the third hole in round four last week, and I think that's one example.
0: So another example you guys are saying is is just like individual blowups on holes, right? Like not necessarily like really over. So, okay, that that. I mean, Rose hit three guess. balls
2: in the water. So, I mean, penalties is a. Uh, but I, I don't think all penalties are created equal either. I will say like um, a penalty for like the ball moving. I mean, when you see sort of these ticky tack penalties, the one like Mackenzie Hughes had one a few weeks back where he grounded the club behind the ball and it moved, it was deemed to have moved a little bit. And he got assessed a one stroke penalty. Like, I don't think, I mean, unless you're Patrick Reed, like, you know, Patrick Reed is the outlier there of guys that like do those types of things a lot. And I mean, it probably helps his game a ton um, in getting away with it most of the time, but uh, but I mean, I, I don't think that's predictive, right? I, I, would, I would be, I, I wanna, if I find out about that, I wanna subtract that stroke for predictive purposes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, penalties is interesting. I don't know. Penalties, I would think intuitively that penalties wouldn't be that predictive, but at the same time, just as a golfer, it is, it is somewhat predictive when a guy bombs one out of bounds and it's a shot, you just absolutely can't hit. There is a, in some sense, there is a big signal there because that's like for Spieth. I mean, for is a good example. Like right now, Spieth, the last, he's played. He's still been squirrely off the tee, but he hasn't hit, he hasn't had any massive misses. And for the last year, that's Spieth consistently once or twice around with bomb one, like 50 yards out of bounds. And I don't know, that does actually provide a, provide a strong signal. So penalty strokes are a bit weird in that respect. But I agree on the, there's definitely something there with the, uh, like guys three putting from three feet or just making big scores in general. I think we don't adjust for that or anything right now, but I think there's something. To that, for sure.
2: I mean, I think what's interesting is that penalties, like if you have a penalty stroke, I mean, obviously out of bounds is different than water too, but but it it tells you something about your dispersion. I think that's what we really want to know: how how like basically what is this guy's miss? How big is the miss? But the problem is in the data, you don't know where the guy's aiming. You know, he could be on this approach aiming to the middle of the green, or he could be aiming at the pin. We don't get that data, and so I think if we had that data and we we're able to know I mean, maybe like if you got that off the range in practice or, you know, something like that, like you could have, like, I think knowing a a player's dispersion would be really important. And especially for course fit too, um, where there's courses where you can miss big and there's courses where you can't.
1: Yeah. I think this stuff sounds good in theory. Like, certainly I agree. Like it's, it's nice in some sense to think, Oh, like forget about scores. Like scores is just this like thing that we see is the product of a player's skills. Let's just focus in on player's skills. And if we measure those accurately, then we'll be able to better predict score because that's what determines score. I think that's, that's, it's nice thinking, but I don't think it, it can maybe add value to scores. It's just, there's so many things that go into a golfer's score that are like somewhat untangible and are hard to pick up in the data. I would worry that you would get somewhat. It's like, yeah, like you would agree, like the more granular, granular your model is the more opportunity there is for it to get way off. And for, so like maybe, if, I mean, it could add value if you use this in conjunction with scores and everything we already use, but it's swing speed is a good one. I like that. Like if you see a guy, it'd be interesting. Like it'd be interesting to have numbers on a guy's range session and try and make adjustments off that. But that's like, I mean, who knows what a player is doing on the range. Like, I mean,
2: somebody told me who had a, like that actually from track man data, they um, players hit the ball harder on the range than they do. On the course which was really surprising to me because when you see them on the range it looks like they're just kind of relaxing and warming up but i mean but generally they'll hit the ball like their eight iron on the range is going to be hit harder with more swing speed than on the course i mean maybe that's just because they're trying to figure out what their limitations are i guess they have the they have the nuclear one and then their stock one well
0: i mean i mean just you guys to your point of uh, we've all of us who play golf, like you're probably not doing your most accurate shot when you're swinging as hard as you can. Right. I mean, like the, the idea of like, you know, going yeah. easy a little bit does make sense. Right. On the course, like to try to like, ra- rather than trying to hit it. So again, like this, I, I'm like kind of fascinated because like you guys are probably two of the most preeminent golf, like modelers in the world. Right. Market influencers what's that we're influencers of the market regard irregardless of whether you're influencers or what we call you right and i don't know if you guys are just being cagey or what but like it doesn't you you're not getting me very excited about the opportunities to create more predictive you know to get bigger edges in golf based on data or approaches like you're just kind of like are spitballing like what are the things that like Go ahead. Well, Jeff, I, I, a lot of where the edges are, are going to
2: be figuring out like a player's fit for a particular course or and obviously and a player, if he's, if he's hot or cold, right. I mean, basically his deviations from his baseline skill that might have some predictive value, but I think, I mean, course fit is, is I think big. Like, I mean, for example, this week, maybe we'll talk about, let's talk about the players a little bit. Like the players is a course that has a lot of variance. Um, And it's a course in general where, and uh, Matt, tell me if you you disagree with any of this, but, but where overall, um, I guess a player's skill is generally a little bit less important, meaning that a better player, like a player that's a stroke better than another player may only be like 0.98 strokes better, um, than the player on this particular course. But a lot of that is going to be related to the wind too. And if you look at history from the players, like, I mean, it, in general, I'm showing like wind rounds average, like it averaged like 12 miles an hour per um, per day um, average for well looking at the average, the five hours after I got teed off. Um, but it's gonna be the condition like more wind is gonna also is gonna equal more randomness generally. And we're supposed to have pretty benign conditions this week, which basically says to me that I, I'm making an adjustment and saying. I'm get, we're going to take away a little bit of that randomness. That's my sort of course randomness effect, um, which I manually did. I normally don't do that, but I was like, you know, look, But that's one area where, I mean, where it matters. Another thing, wind matters more on, cor- um, like a mile an hour of wind matters more in Florida than it does on a typical course. Um, it matters more in Europe as well. I mean, and a lot of that's, I, I think it comes from the fact that Florida is, is flat. You don't sort of have like bunch of trees um you know you don't have these forests basically the wind it's open it's more exposed and so um i mean maybe it has to do i might be completely off base there maybe it's like correlated maybe it's just because there's more water hazards on these florida courses so like wind can just have a greater impact on your score in that regard but um, but but yeah i mean i think there's all these i mean things on course fit and and obviously this yeah, a ton, there's a ton of variance in, at the players, but I know the narrative is like, oh, there's not one type of golfer that, that it favors. Um, you had like, what, two years ago, you had Rory win. And I think Jim Furyk was in second place. Um, you had Ken Duke, like shoot the, um, probably the best round ever there, uh, at the players. He'd shot like 11 strokes better than average in like 2016. And he's like a, a guy who's, um, you know, not at all, I don't know, not 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 sort of the typical guy It's going to go re- really go
0: low either, so. So let me just summarize what Wait. you just said. Basically, you said, hey, an advantage is looking at course fit and then proceeded to say that the players, there's no such thing as course fit because it's all random. No, it's not all random. There's certain things that I think it favors. Okay, so I mean, tell us sure. sort of like what it favors. I'll are let are the Matt say who that. Who are the golfers well, that you're looking at this week?
1: Well, randomness The fact that a course is random is course fit like the fact that like if you had to pick a course that you were going to play I don't know if you golf or not but like if you're going to play a tour professional at a course you'd want to pick a course that doesn't reward skill like that's a good course fit for the worst golfer and so that's I mean obviously every course rewards skill but there's some that reward skill more than others or at least the skills that are on the PGA Tour players possess so yeah good course fit at like at a high level, at, at Sawgrass, which is this week's course, um, we're generally betting on worst golfers this week, and all the pretty much yeah all the all the top 15 players in our whatever baseline rankings are getting negative adjustments to their skill levels this week, just because Sawgrass it doesn't reward uh, distance as much as a normal course. It rewards accuracy more, but accuracy tends to be a skill possessed by like not the top golfers. I mean, they they are accurate, but it's typically like. Mid to top tier guys are are more accurate, so that results sort of in a compression of the the skill distribution too. And then, yeah, just the other other than accuracy, every skill is rewarded less at Sawgrass, which is a, a course fit thing.
0: Um, so does a guy like Morikawa show up well this week because he's accurate, not particularly long? Yeah, I don't Murakawa's have him that the,
2: I, I don't have him that high actually. I mean, I have him forty six to one, which seems yeah. What yeah,
1: about well, you, Matthew? I, uh, I mean, of the top guys, which Morikawa is sort of on the cusp for us, he's not – I know he just won, but he's sort of on the periphery of the top. He's he's, he's getting a positive adjustment this week for course fit, which is, uh, yeah, of the top – of our top, like, 15 guys, it's him and, and Webb Simpson, who are the only guys getting uh, positive bumps, and that makes sense. They're both accurate guys. Yeah. Um, of the really good guys, like, Rom is getting less of – John Rom is getting less of a negative adjustment just because he actually is – he's long and accurate. He's but, very accurate. Yeah, which is rare for a big guy. But um,
2: But you yeah. guys – I mean, do you like Ryan Moore as much as I do?
1: I mean, it's funny. I mean, I had him highlighted for this. Yeah, I mean, our model likes him. I personally probably wouldn't bet my house on him because I don't even – I didn't even know he – he hasn't done anything hasn't lately, but I'm not sure I believe the adjustments he's getting, but um, yeah, we like him.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't bet my house on anything, especially like, I mean, you I, don't I, actually I have a you don't, you don't whole portfolio a of big long shots here. I mean, like, you, I think you, I took Rufus, Bo Hogue you, you, at 800 you, to one.
0: Rufus, you rent a house, right? So how could you bet a house? Well, I could bet
2: one of the houses I own that, that, that I'm renting out. <laughs> but then
0: me. where would the renters live? <laughs> right, That's a good question. That's why I don't do it. Um, okay. So who, all right. So let's just get into this, this tournament then what like beyond Ryan Moore and, and Rom, who are some other interesting, you know, I don't know if I need to ask you about specific guys, but um, you know, like if, if you think about one of the things that I've learned um, from uh, doing this podcast, which is good that I've actually learned something is this idea of recency and golf you know, almost like counter to uh, some of the other sports where recency tends to create um, inefficiency, meaning like people overweight recency too much in golf. Recency is a, is a really big driver or really predictive, right? Like that's one of the areas that you guys believe. So like in a Ryan Moore situation, right? Like, I don't even know if he's played right to you guys' point. Like I haven't heard his name in, in a while, Um, who are some of the players that you guys are looking at from a recent standpoint that are, that are interesting that you think have value? I mean, we talked about, we talked about speed, right? Speed has been playing really well this entire, um, you know, season so far, right? Like at least recently he's been, he's been in the mix in in many of these, many of these tournaments, Um, Morikawa certainly I, I I don't know if you guys heard the narrative or like about his putting and and his his chipping like he's you he got lessons from from whatever Mark O'Mara or whomever and and that's why he putted so well, um you know at uh where where was that I don't even remember now
2: concession uh like, yeah, concession,
0: um who are some guys that you guys are looking at from a recency standpoint? I mean I think the market is
1: yeah not, I was going to say, in general, like we're, we, we're probably less on recent form than the market. And even amongst, like, Sharps, we definitely uh, are more on long-term form. And it's something I'm, like, working on right now. I'm not sure if we – we might be too long-term. But, uh, anyway, related to that, we actually like Connors a lot this week, which is uh, – and so Corey Connors. He played well last week, which is – like, it's super rare for a player who's – not a top guy to have a really good week. And then for us to not, for us to show value on him the next week is pretty rare. Part of that is because Connors is a good fit this week. Like we were talking the other day. he's an accurate player. Um, I'm not really sure. I think even, even last week, we, we liked Connors. So we were high on him to begin with, but uh, he's a guy we like. I don't really know. Cause he can't I mean, putt. <laughs> yeah. I was on, that's
2: yeah, fun. I liked him too last week you like Connors this week, Rufus? What do you make him? Um, I don't, I, I make him 82 to one. So, I mean, just looking around, it looks like FanDuel has or had a 90 to one out there, but generally the market is around like, let's see, 66, 65. Like market is generally in the 60s to
0: 80s on him. Pinnacle is 55 to one, so. What about um guys, your your SCH guys that you love so much a couple of weeks ago, really? Uh, Sheffler and Shoffley and Shuffley.
2: Shoffley and Scheffler. You asked me for two. Yeah, you have, Jeff asked me for some golf picks. So I just said anybody that's name starts with SCH um, for that week.
0: That it was a Sega Genesis. It didn't work out so well.
2: Yeah. Um I don't like, I mean, I make Shuffley 25 to one. I guess the best market price is 24 to one out there. So I'm not like low on him and Shuffler. I make him 50 to one. And I guess the best market price looks like it's 50 to one at DraftKings. So no value there really, but I do like Rom.
0: What do you price Rom at?
2: Um, I I had him at um, like, pl- like plus 1560. Um, and then I made some adjustments after the weather and all that. And I'm now having at plus 1490. And he, yeah. he's, I have him as the favorite. So normally I would have, normally yes. I have the favorite a lot higher than plus 1490. And to Matt's point, that's why randomness does matter. The fact that there is more variance here does bring more golfers in and it means I'm not going to be as high on the, on the, on the best golfers.
0: Has Rom been playing?
2: Yeah, not that well for him, but <laughs> he has been. I mean, and he apparently um, hates this course. Hates so, it? Yeah, he said that.
0: Well, I mean, there's something to be said for him hating this course. This
2: is a course where, well, what's interesting. I mean, this is a course. I'm like, should I say this or not say this?
0: Um, You do a podcast, Rufus. Say it. Okay. This
2: is. I mean, this is a course where course history just doesn't really matter much. Got it. It really like like course fit matters, but course history, like how a a guy overperforming or underperforming there in the past, like it's it's at the extreme end of it, not mattering
0: it's kind of interesting, right? That's, that seems counter to what you would think. So why, why do you, why do you think that is?
1: I think part of that is because, I mean, honestly, I think this is like super interesting. It's not actually, I don't think it's too relevant for predicting stuff. So I'll just say it anyway. I think the re the thing with the players is if you're, if you're eligible, you play in the players. So there's no, at some courses, the fact that a player keeps playing it gives you information about how they feel about the course, because, like, the fact that I'm going out of my way to play this event in Florida, um, I'm, I'm putting that on my schedule if it's a mid-tier event. There's information in that, and I think that tells you that the, the player likes the course, whereas the play, the the players' championship and the majors, if you're eligible, you play in it. So I think that's partly why, at least, I mean, it depends how we're talking about course history, but normally rounds played is pretty predictive at a course. And, like, you could think, oh, it's because it's experience. a player has played a course a lot. They know the course well, and that... That benefits them but i don't think it's that because that just doesn't make sense to me i think it's more it's like revealed preference when you see where a player is playing it tells you about how they feel about the course and um the players there could be other reasons too like just because it's i don't know it's more I th- ra- it is more random
2: i think experience still matters there and to your point like think about augusta national it's another course where basically anybody that's eligible is going to play but that's an extreme that, that that that's at the other extreme of like course history really matters like experience matters a good amount too
1: well oh, but there's experience and then there's course history right there's oh yeah they're different but, you're, but, you're, but you're saying experience yeah I, agree. I mean i haven't really tried to figure out too much like the differing degrees of predictiveness about course history just because it's and, and it, that specific course is just because it's kind of it's difficult but anyway it's i'm sure you've looked into it deeply it's, it's different. there's not there's much. So strange there. things
2: like for whatever reason course history matters a lot less in Florida than it does elsewhere on tour.
1: Yeah, I don't know
2: if I I don't know if I believe that but <laughs> I mean that's uh, like Rufus this this Bridger. is this is like this is like a 1 in 10,000 or more chance that it's random though. So
1: well, there's a lot of states there's, the, It's uh, true there, there are. are. How many much... <laughs> Yeah
2: but um, it's like, it's like Europeans at Bay Hill, right?
0: So let's, let's go back. <laughs> Let, let's go back really quickly to this, this concept of um, w- why do you think that the players is is something that people play? Like if it, they, li- it means they like that course, they like the event. No, it's, like what...
2: it's like, it's the biggest person golf. It's like the fifth major. It's yeah. It's like not playing it.
0: What is it? Is it, I mean, like, is it the, it, i mean i guess like with all the wgc events like is it really the fifth major now or is it i mean it's still considered that wgc events
1: are yeah yeah the players is a great event for whatever reason the wgcs just suck for some reason maybe it's because maybe maybe it's because there's no cut or they just don't have like as a golf fan i i don't enjoy the wgcs at all the players is up there with with the majors in terms of like, this will be a great week this week. It's partly the course, partly the, the field. I mean, it's yeah, the players is the fifth major as far as I'm concerned. Interesting. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, should we get into some of the, like, maybe market gambling type stuff um, rather sure. than golf specific discussion? I, I actually solicited, some, I solicited some, uh, some questions and, you know, um, let's see. Do to do. do. OK, um, so there is a large contingent of people that believes you have a very large impact on, on the opening line. Data Golf has a big impact on the opening lines out there. Um, do you, If a large bookmaker approached you to sell lines for their matchups as their originators for good money, would you accept? This is a question.
1: Um, no, so to the second question, no, no, I don't think we would. I mean, obviously, everybody has a price, but we really enjoy having like this website. For one, we didn't start the website for betting purposes. We initially were just big fans of golf, knew a lot about data, and combined combined those two things. Um, but we really enjoy having a public-facing website. Um, I enjoy being on this side of the the market, the side that, in theory, is helping betters, even though bookmakers might be using our stuff to set lines too. I don't know um i don't i mean i don't think we would plus i'm my brother and i were young i don't want to i don't know it would take a lot of money to stop what we're doing and just sort of do something boring and give our lines to a bookmaker but i mean obviously everybody has a price but that's yeah
0: take note bookmakers Did Ryan Moore pull out of the players? By the way, because I'm looking at him right now in, in in the futures, and I don't even see him in the futures. Of which book? Uh, of
2: of see, Chris. J- Jeff uh, always J- Jeff like literally places most of his bets during the podcast. Basically, anything that's talked about, Jeff places the bet before the podcast airs.
0: R- Rufus, that would be illegal. So I would never do that. And I don't It would know be illegal. Yeah, you can't you can't bet. Illegal, you're not allowed
2: either. to bet while you're recording a podcast. Everybody knows that. Section two, number nine in the U.S. legal code. Um, I'm looking. Matt's at in You so can. What's up? I said Matt's in Canada, so he could.
0: Okay, Rufus, do you want to ask him a few more of these questions? Yeah,
2: and obviously, Jeff, you chime in. Um, do you
0: think? I guess things. the real question is: Do you, do you, do you do you think that um, you do have a big impact on the opening lines, Matthew?
1: I mean, I don't think we're impacting literally the opening line. I think that for whatever reason, at least let's say in... Okay, so I mean, for, for week-longs and outright stuff, it does seem like somehow, even before we... Because we don't post our stuff until... At least for the outright stuff, books have posted. And then we we post our stuff. And And lately, yeah, they have been super in line with our stuff. And I'm not really sure how it's even possible because at least most weeks we have reasonable... You could go to our website and look at our some of our pages and get a good assessment of our general skill baseline skill for each golfer. But each week there's like course fit stuff, course history. I don't know. There's course specific adjustments. So like it shouldn't be that in line, but lately it has kind of been in line. Um, this week, not so much for matchups. We don't impact like the opening lines of like the actual openers for pinnacle are always quite a bit different than ours. I mean, I think if you actually looked at the the odds data, you would see this, um, we certainly impact like okay, so Pinnacle will open like this week and yeah, whatever, and their limits are probably low and we'll yeah, we'll impact or I don't know if it's us, but lines will towards. Well, I'm just saying lines will move towards our odds initially. And and then when Chris comes out on Tuesday and when the limits go up, sure they do they can move away. And honestly, I haven't systematically looked I did systematically look at things the last two years. But this year, I don't know. It seems to me that closing lines are more in line with our stuff than in the past. But anyway, we do. I think we influence the market a reasonable lot. I'm not really sure. I don't really have anything to compare it to. And plus, I think everybody overestimates how much they influence the market. That's like a. Every well, I, I think can, the consensus.
2: Think? The consensus in the gambling world is you guys underestimate how much you impact the market. But someone, um, someone mentioned that um, basically, it seems like. Penny, Penny will open. Pinnacle will open without, you know, and you guys will show value, and someone will be popping it for a hundred dollars and basically put everything in line with your numbers, and then, and then, so it's essentially early on, the data golf number ends up becoming the market, and then later on, you have um, some sharps and bigger players that are sort of moving that sort of away. So when you guys post your records, I mean, so you keep bet your betting records. against bet 365 lines when are those okay. when are those bets but but here's the thing like you're essentially like when are those bets placed first off
1: whenever whenever bet 365 posts their stuff i mean bet 365 is not like pinnacle and they're not like betcris. they are not i mean i don't think they're they're not influenced by anything and it's that's probably because it's their business model probably and people think and they're not. We we pay we place our bets there or whatever. Record our bets when those lines come out. Um, and I don't think there's much influence going on between us and their odds. I don't think we're not. We're definitely. If you're trying to get at whether or not we're betting against odds that have already incorporated yeah. stuff, and then we're, they're moving away. I honestly don't think that is happening that much for the outright markets. It might be now because like now it's getting a bit worrisome to the point where we don't show there's weeks where we literally show no value in the outright market, which is once you start tweaking players, skill levels, you realize that it doesn't take much to get value on a golfer in an outright market. And so that's obviously there's something kind of fishy going on there, but like I said, this week, there's a lot of discrepancies. So it's not always like that. Um, And yeah, related to this is people underestimate. I know people think bet 365's lines are horrible, but I don't know. If you, if you look at, I've looked at how they compare to, other books, and I think all matchup markets are actually relatively pretty efficient, but- well, They have word, those stupid
2: tie, like three-way tournament matchup markets. So it's like impossible to find value just because it takes a lot more juice, where, where ties right. Ties are a separate round, category.
1: Tournament matchups, yeah, but round matchups, they don't. And uh, yeah, there is a lot of VIG, and but matchup markets are unique. Like they, books get to choose which players to offer. So you can have a crap or maybe not so great model and, or not even have a model, I don't know. And still price matchups, okay. I, I don't know. I worry about matchups. Like, I don't know. I can't imagine we're doing anything wrong, really. Like, I don't know why a model would need to be different for matchups. Like, our philosophy has always just been we're trying to model scores. And then right. from, from scores, you get everything you want. But, yeah, I don't know. Matchups, especially round matchups, there can be weird things. Like, guys who are not going to make the cut or guys who are near the lead. Or these things might matter more than skill. And we try to account for them, but it's tricky. So,
2: I mean, you're, so first off, like, I mean, your business model, well, you sell, I mean, you have a subscription service, um, which sells things, it's, you sell, you sell picks. So in that way, you might be considered a tout, but you also are selling the output of your numbers, almost like, more like, I mean, a more advanced version of what Massey Peabody did, did, well, except SCP, bet he didn't sell, but, but, but basically, you know, you're offering, you know, tools to enable people to see, you know, based off of your numbers. Um, but I guess the question then is if, I mean, and this is the sort of thing that we've obviously have talked about touts a lot on our podcast over the years, but um, and, and sort of the economics of selling picks and the fact that with, with market influence come like with more market influence, the picks become less valuable to people. Um, your numbers, as your numbers get more and more um, ingrained into the into the market number, how does that sort of affect the product you deliver? Um, and obviously, you deliver like I mean, I'm a subscriber because the API, like I like the data, the data side of of data golf. And I know a lot of people, um, I know a lot of people do that as well. So, you know, I wouldn't say like you're strictly a tout side or anything, but um, yeah, how do you? how do you sort of reconcile that in terms of where you think the site is headed as you, you know, cause presumably you're not like, as your numbers, as you get more and more subscribers, you know, it will, you will influence the market even more. And if your numbers, you know, you're working on all this stuff um, and I would encourage you to stop doing any research on golf um, permanently. Um, but if you, you know, you know, as you make improvements, it's gonna, you know, you'll end up affecting the market more. So how do you sort of like, what, what what's What's the future for data golf in that regard? And how do you sort of reconcile that?
1: Yeah. I mean, first off, I'm, I don't mind being called a, calling our site, a tout site. I'm whatever. I'm fine with that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think we're still, I don't think we're, yeah, it's not like there's just picks on our site. You get to see, uh, like first and foremost, I think it's just a super high quality website that people... Get a lot of enjoyment from and you're not necessarily if sure if you're purely like there for financial reasons and um you just want to get these picks that have value then sure as we get more subscribers and more i can influence that is going to become more problematic i think it's also useful for, for people to see like we're not just emailing out picks we're obviously we're not we don't do that but we're um we're showing you how the sausage is made pretty much exactly so somebody can come in and look at our model and Add like we're giving a really good baseline is sometimes how I think about it. And they can come in and add, like like honestly myself, like I think our picks are pretty much, our our odds for a week are set on Sunday. But as someone who watches a lot of golf, like I think I could add value to our model for sure, making manual tweaks and stuff like that. And going forward, we are trying to formally allow people to do that with some new tools on the site that are gonna allow people to make some adjustments to some inputs and then re-simulate the tournament and it'll give them basically their personal odd screen that has the probabilities that would come out of their model. Um, but we're going to try and do it in a way that's actually useful for the user, like because most custom products it just spits out garbage for the users. Because <laughs> it's really hard to make a custom product that's actually good. Because if you're not I'm not a technical person, it's hard to uh, it's hard to build a model in a smart way. But I don't know. To your point, like I. Sure. We may, I, honestly, we never get complaints from people about them not being able to find value or we whatever the ceiling is in terms of how many subscribers we can hold um, before there's just too many there and it's affecting the market too much. I don't know. We haven't we haven't hit that yet. But like, what do you think about the fact that people know Pinnacle is sharp, for example, and yet every book is not in line with Pinnacle? Like I know this is there's, that's based on business models. but my, my point is just there can be sharp. There is sharp lines out there all the time. It's Pinnacle. And yet, not every line gets back into pinnacle, into uh, down to pinnacle's closing line. Like there's, I don't know. It's not like the market's a big place. It's there's, it's global. There's value to be had. And maybe what I'm saying is naive and stupid. It probably is. But that's sort of one one uh, thing that comes to mind. I don't know. I mean, Rufus,
0: you're asking him to solve the existential question of basically how to make yeah. money as a no. I mean, this is like the classic question like it, you like it, how many times do people ask you oh i have this great analytics system for betting x sport how do i make money off of it and they want to like start a company to do that and you know like it's it's not easy and i and and you, you know the best way to make money off of it is to go bet it yourself right like that's ultimately you know i i think It'll be interesting to chart your progress, Matthew, and we're certainly pulling for you. And we, we thank you for joining us today. Rufus, do you have one more question? Yeah. I, w- I was going to
2: say, I love the idea that I mean, the customization stuff, just allowing someone like, cause it's, it's like telling someone the answer versus allowing someone to find the answer themselves. Right. And I think I, I, it comes down to, I guess, what do people get? Why do people bet on golf or on any sport? Like Jeff, why do you bet on, why do you bet on basketball or what, or
0: whatever. I mean, it's on. different though for me, right? Because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm much more recreational than, than you guys are. No, right? but I, I like, that's what I'm talking about. Like more, like, yeah, I, I mean, we're not talking about professional better Well, here. but just, now you're, why? you're basically now like you're, you're now singing the praises of why touts should exist, right? Like, no, no,
2: I, I, I'm saying, I, I'm not, I'm saying, I like the concept of allowing someone to figure out the answers themselves and giving them tools to do so rather than saying, this is, this is the, we'll, we'll, this sure. is our number. It's saying like, Oh, you know, you can put in your own numbers and run a simulation, which that, I mean, I love yeah, that. Riffus, I love that, you, that's,
0: this is Of course you like it, but you're not it, the typical sports fan, right? The typical sports fan wants to be spoon fed information. They don't want to actually have to do work to get that to that information. Right. I want
2: data golf to have a, the, the product that allows people to run their own simulations, but just not have any of their data golf numbers up there so that
0: people have to do it all themselves. Because you want I mean, people to, to make mistakes. I want the market to more... be as inefficient as possible, Jeff.
2: Yeah, right. Okay. So I, I'm um, obviously a biased observer here.
0: Matthew, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, super interesting work you guys are doing. Wish you the best of luck going forward. Um, and any any last thoughts on the players, guys, for for those people who've managed to get through this entire podcast? I think, people, might want some I think people are going to want a
2: few picks here, right? Even though yes. I hate giving out picks, but like... Do it, Matt. what are the what are what are you what are the who are the players that you guys' as model has the biggest discrepancy with relative to the market?
1: I mean, it's a sad list of players. Like, yes, with yeah, so Daniel Moore is the, is the is the biggest discrepancy. Like, yeah, guys, like Adam Long. I mean, Connors is a good Corey Connors. Is a, he's not a super long shot, and he's. I know we already mentioned him, but he's someone that I actually look at and think, yeah, that's. Uh, that's actually a reasonable. Like it, the data supports it, and my personal opinions support it. Um, yeah, there's not too many other noteworthy. Brandon Todd too, actually. I like, like Todd.
2: Um, so I I I like Ryan more. I mean, I I like Rom outright at sixteen to one or better. I guess I was able to get a seventeen to one. There's a well, nah, there was a seventeen to one out there. I'm not sure it exists anymore. Um, if you can get 90 to one or greater on Billy Horschel, the local Floridian, um, I like that, but yeah, I, I like, hate, a bunch I hate of,
0: listening to that dude talk. He just never stops talking.
2: It's like, well, have you seen Matthew Wolf? That guy really never stops talking. Okay. Um, oh, Kevin Kissner. surprisingly, I actually am quite high on him. Um, I, I make him 113 to one, which I consider quite high relative to the market right now. Um, if we go down to the sort of bottom, um, like Lucas Glover, I make 265 to one. There's like three hundreds out there available on him. Rory Sabatini, who I seem to like every week, I make him 193 to one. There's 300 ones on him. Um, and another guy seemed to like all the time. Sebastian Munoz looks like there are 200 somethings out there. Um, and I make him 184 to one. So, oh, and one more, I guess. I'll give a European out. Um, Shane Lowry. Um, I make him 164 to one and there are
0: some 200s out there and higher. Nice. Uh, any, any interesting fades guys that you think are high that, that you think will bomb? Like, is this not a good course for Bryson to try to like do his 700 yard drives?
2: I'm anti Adam Scott for some reason. And I don't actually know why. I mean, I make him 179 to one. I make Carlos Ortiz slightly more likely to win. Um, I normally, I mean, he's a guy that you wouldn't say is a bad fit. It might just be recent recency. I haven't actually
0: dug into it. How about you, Matthew? Any, any, any fades?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't think we've ever been as far off market as we are, as we are with speed, like on anybody uh, as we are with speed right now, which, I don't feel great about and that's being driven mostly by the market is really uh piling on to his 2021 form a lot plus we have speed as a bad fit here and he has a bad history um so we're like really like we have him met i mean this is why a bookmaker probably wouldn't want to use our odds because we have we have speed at uh 228 to one or seven to one i usually deal with probabilities but at two twenty-seven European odds, and the mark is at thirty-one.
2: <laughs> but that's not a true. I mean, that's a one-way, one-sided market. You can't bet against Speed
1: there. That's I mean, true. I make okay, Speed
2: that... like a hundred and ten to one, and can't I think I'm and I'm high. But I actually show value no. on Speed on some matchups, which kind of like bothers me a little bit. Like I well,
1: don't, yeah. To the degree, to the to the degree that we're influencing uh, matchup markets, I think that makes sense. I mean, we are low on even, I agree, obviously your point about it being a one-way market is relevant, but yeah, the, even in matchups, we're pretty low on speed. So I'm a bit worried about it because I actually do think he's back. So
2: that was a question I was going to ask and forgot to ask it about speed and how, I mean, limitations of prediction, essentially, and, and how you, a guy that was elite and sort of fell down and became a mediocre golfer and then a mediocre professional golfer and and starts to get it back like are you you know how it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to know how to model right
1: yeah for sure yeah i think it's always bothered me that super long-term data is not really in our model like the fact that steve played really well from 2015 to 2017 is not really affecting our predictions for him right now which is Seems stupid, but it's hard to, I mean, this is why it's, uh, yeah, it's it's useful when you can make a lot of manual tweaks and stuff, because I think there are things for speed that I would do that probably wouldn't be good for everybody else, but, uh, might be something that would work with speed, but yeah, it's tricky for sure. That's
0: why this is so hard. All right. I think that's a wrap guys. Thanks so yeah. much for joining us, Matthew. Uh, Rufus, thanks for joining us also. Um, I don't even know where you are. It's a wonderful wallpaper, though. Oh, it's, it's a place called WeWork. All right. We'll see you guys in uh, a couple weeks or next week, depending on how motivated we are. Good luck in
1: the players. Watching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data, analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get
0: it. puppetees are butt to end just running off unleaded.